You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman, host of the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. Covered the team on the beat for about five years. That's Logan Paulson. Ten years in the NFL as a tight end, including six in Washington. And Logan, uh, today we have a little bit different podcast, obviously, as we get into the off-season rhythm. It was great having John Keim on the pod. If you missed that, make sure you go back and check it out. But what we're going to do today is dive into some really nuanced stuff on offensive strategy, scheme, et cetera, because we hear all these different things that are being thrown around about these offensive coordinators. This guy's a West Coast guy. That guy's an Eric Coriel guy. Mm-hmm. What do those things actually mean? How, does, how, does the, how do those offenses come together and what would be a good fit in Washington and with Ron Rivera? Then we'll get into the rest of the NFL playoffs uh, and take a look at the games coming up this weekend. But uh, Logan, it seems like the offensive coordinator uh, search hasn't moved too much in the last 20 whatever hours it's been since we recorded with John. Um, You know, Shermer had his interview, Zampezi's interviewing today. Uh, There still hasn't been interviews. uh, They've been requested, but not necessarily granted with some of the other guys we talked about, like Studesville down in Miami, Bevel. Mm -hmm. Um, But is is there any, as, as you've had a chance to dive into more of these guys let's start there like is there anybody that stands out to you as either a favorite based off what you're hearing or a favorite that you would like to see higher based off what you know about them at this time yeah I mean I'd probably go like Daryl Bevel or Eric Studsville and I think a big reason is because a they've called plays and b they they seem to have a history of understanding what Ron and this staff, you know, the Martys are looking for with with regards to the offense this kind of something we talked about with Kyle the other day um, they understand how to call a game with a run emphasis and how that run emphasis and the formations associated with those running formations can positively insulate the passing attack. And they're also young guys. They've got good coaching careers. They've been quarterback coaches. They've called plays. All of those things you kind of like to, or at least I like to check off in terms of boxes with regards to an OC. And people say, well, Logan, why do you want a quarterback coach? Oftentimes you want a quarterback coach because you want a guy who can communicate with that guy. And the quarterback coach has to understand the passing game from the quarterback's perspective. I also like a guy who's called plays, right? Um, Because there is a skill associated with that, the rhythm and when things need to be called, how things need to be sequenced. All that stuff's really important. The prep in the week is another thing that's really important when it comes to calling plays. You have to kind of establish your first 25 plays or whatever it is. So all the guys that have that experience, I think are very, very important. A guy like Charles Lennon, for example, has been a running back coach his whole career. So 
there are advantages to having a running back coach. They know protections. They know offensive line blocking schemes, usually not as detailed as the O-line coach. But, you know, he's never called plays. And this he was a first-year quarterback coach last year in a system that didn't do anything especially innovative from a pass game standpoint. So you kind of say, even though I like the Atlanta connection, I like the philosophy there, does he bring enough experience to the position or is he going to be kind of a youthful, I don't know, youthful guy who needs a little bit of time to get better, which Ron doesn't necessarily have. Right. The, I think you see even this weekend the inexperience of calling plays in the playoffs, and especially yeah. if it's a head coach, um, which obviously is not the case here. But, you know, Mike McDaniel is brilliant. Um, his inability in a key situation to get a fourth and one call in in time and like get all that organized while also being the head coach and in the play caller, that was that was an issue. I think the fact that they're in that game in the first place is a testament to Mike McDaniel. He deserves a lot more credit than he does blame. Like the fact that he was in a position to screw it up, so to speak, uh, is actually a testament to him. But um, that situation, um, he hasn't been in before. And right. especially in that that pressure of a playoff game. Same could be said for Kevin O'Connell. Um, mm -hmm. I was, was watching uh, Kirk Warner's breakdown of the fourth and eight. And he's like, look, I don't love what Kirk Cousins did here, but I also really don't like to play. Mm -hmm. um, and in that situation, like, can you get to the right play call? And so obviously for them, it was taking the step of being the head coach, having to make some of the time score, whatever decisions and calling the play. It's a lot of responsibility. Um, but also those two guys are pretty young play callers. Um, they've worked mm -hmm. under Kyle or Sean respectively, uh, or, you know, Jay here in Kevin's case where they didn't necessarily have full control of the play calling. And when it's your show, um, those situations are very difficult. And so having someone who's seen that before does elevate the candidacy of a guy like Shermer, a guy like Bevel, you know, mm -hmm. who's been in Super Bowls. And like, look, we can say Bevel Bevel made a mistake in the Super Bowl, like a pretty famous one. Um, yep. You know, throwing he he calls the play that gets picked off when they should have just run Marshawn Lynch in uh, from the two yard line, and it cost the Seahawks Super Bowl. Well, that's a mistake he's made and certainly learned from, mm -hmm. um, and an experience he's had. And if he gets in that position again, maybe he doesn't overthink it uh, to the extent that he did uh, along with Pete Carroll in that spot. So. There's advantages of having the mistakes already made, having seen the situations that you're talking about as a play caller that is the same as experience in any other job. That's why mm -hmm. that thing matters. But you even see it this weekend among some of the best and brightest minds in the sport that don't necessarily put their, their teams in the best position to win specific to play calling, sequencing, understanding what you need and, and how to best get your, your matchup or, or even getting the right personnel on the field uh, in a timely fashion in key situations. So that is definitely something that I think if you didn't value it necessarily before, um, you can just watch the NFL in, in one weekend and, and see the value of having someone who's, who's done it. Right. I think, um, and you know, you're not always going to call the perfect play, but I think the idea of establishing or having an established like offensive identity, right. And having, had to call a fourth and eight before having kind of had to work, you know, uh, Daryl Bevel was, has been an OC for almost 15 years at certain points in his career. So like, that's a lot of time on task in terms of, Hey, how do I build a staff? How do I get the people around me that I need? It's not kind of learning on the job. You're not going to be influenced, um, you know, by the head coach in the same way. You're going to have your own autonomy. And I think that's all important stuff, especially for a side of the ball that, that struggled last year and has struggled under Ron's tenure. I think having someone who can kind of be their own Island, be the CEO, be the, yeah, the CEO of the offense, I think is going to be really important. And so when I look at this list, I feel like it kind of 
narrows itself down a little bit, right? And we, we talked also about how I think it's important that Ron's going to want, want to work with somebody that he's worked with in the past, and that's Pat Shermer. Like, he, they were on the Eagles staff together. That, I think, is a big kind of, uh, you know, like tentpole type of event for him in terms of Ron's familiar with him, Ron knows him, and he's also got a lot of experience. Now, his stops are not as storied as like a, a, Dar- a Bevel or a Studsville, for example, but I think that relationship will be big because you got to work with people that you like if you're Ron. Right. And the I will say this, the other thing that's appealing about Shermer is you know, everywhere he's been, a lot of explosive plays, even with the sure. Giants. Like they didn't do a lot in between the explosive plays, uh, but they were pretty high up. Uh, Nikki Javala had a great piece kind of profiling everybody who's on the list in the Washington Post this morning. That's one thing she pointed out. Um, you know, his record's not great. Obviously, his head coaching record's really poor, but he's been a head coach multiple times because of what he's done as an offensive coordinator. And he's done it, by the way, in some places where the the talent at quarterback wasn't elite. Right. You know, that that year that Case Keenum had in Minnesota, Pat Shermer was the OC. And so if you can, you know, and by the way, the OC for Mike Zimmer, a defensive coach. So mm-hmm. like Shermer has a profile that is appealing, even if the results, there are some you can pick apart the resume pretty quickly, but that's also why guys are available as opposed to locked into head coaching jobs over the long term. For Shermer, uh, and a lot of these guys, they run variations of a West Coast system, sure. which is what you're most familiar with as well. So how would you define a West Coast system and how is it different than what they ran last year? And actually, let's, let me let me ask you a different question to, to, before going to that. How would you define an offensive system? Because a lot of the, these systems, there's overlap, right? There's the same yeah. concepts. They run the same run. So like, how do you how do you categorize an offensive system in the first place? Well, I think it kind of goes back to this thing that seemed to be lacking here in Washington is this core offensive identity. What do you want to be? How do you want to create mismatches and create space in the context of your offense? So, you know, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, um, the Minnesota staff, uh, uh, Miami staff, they are all kind of of this same ilk. They want to say, we're going to run the football out of these formations. We're going to throw the football out of these formations. We're going to make it hard for defenses to key on tendencies based on what we do. And we're going to not only stretch the field vertically, we're going to work really hard to stretch the field horizontally. And that, to me, is maybe the biggest distinguishing factor in like the West Coast offense and like what that means is you're trying to stretch the field horizontally, make them de- defend every blade of grass between that, that 56-yard field. And not a lot of teams do that, right? But I think you bring up an excellent point in that even though Kyle, for example, is a West Coast coach, he has Eric Coriel passing concepts in his offense. They they have kind of infused themselves. Now, he gets to them in different ways than, let's say, Scott would get to them. But they're all kind of overlapped. It's the thing that, again, defines his offensive perspective is that core tenant of everything should look approximately the same um, to start the down and the defense shouldn't be able to tell the difference. And we want to work again. This is a, something I've said a lot to subvert defensive expectations of our offense, throwing out of heavy personnel, running out of light personnel, finding good matchups, finding good angles. And again, that's what makes his offense and his offensive tree so effective is because I think those tenants can apply to any offense. He just happens to do it from a West coast perspective. Right. West Coast, of course, the origins with Bill Walsh uh, out in the Niners uh, back in the 80s. Um, 
and has gone down from there. Guys like Andy Reid and his entire coaching tree have really spread that throughout the league. Um, But it's the the short for West Coast, like short, a lot of short passing. um, But that horizontal stretch, as opposed to Eric Coriel, which which is what. Scott and North, you know, North Turner, obviously one of the the main disciples there, and has spread the offense through his uh, coaching tree, uh, including his son. They want to stretch and create that space vertically far right. more often, which is interesting though, because a lot of like a slant flat concept is something that exists in both offenses. You know, mm-hmm. your uh, dusty concept, as it's called. You know, the language is obviously different, but like you know, that concept exists, um, in in offenses, which brings to the next question of like the language, is that something that's specific to like West coast? Like if you go to, from Kyle to Sean, are you getting basically the same language? I don't know if they work together. So maybe that's a bad example, but like, if you go to two West coast guys, are you getting basically the same language Two Eric Coriel guys, basically the same language, or does every coordinator wind up doing things differently? And that's part of the challenge of bringing in someone new is, you're going to wind up having pretty much no matter what to learn an entirely new language for your offense. Yeah. So there are a lot of crossovers in terms of West coast terminology. Um, For example, you mentioned dragon slant, flat lion, double slant, drive, drag, uh, dig. All those things are kind of in the same ilk. Other teams run them. For example, when I was in Houston, they are from this new England offensive tree, which is very kind of like, uh, it's, uh, it's almost like contained in its own world. So when someone gets out of it, it feels like, man, how did they get to this language? They're running dra- they're running drive, for example, but they call it something completely different. And it's just like, how did they get there? Like what? And it's funny because like they even draw their pictures different. So like, you'll be looking at the picture. You're like, what is this? Like, why, why does it look like that? And you're like, oh, that's drive. But why did they draw it with this point of emphasis? Why did they get to this? And a little bit of it's because they want the spacing to hit a certain way. They want the release to hit a certain way. But it is funny when you're in in different offenses with different kind of core tenants. So, for example, you know, Kyle, Sean, um, you know, all those guys that will look approximately the same. Like the picture will look the same. You'll be able to say, okay, that's drive. But then when you go to a different offense, it might just feel a little different. They might emphasize something a little different. They might say, hey, on the drive, we want you to sit here as opposed to here. And being from the West Coast offensive tree, which is where I'm from, you're like, that doesn't create enough horizontal space. So why would you want them to sit there? And they have a reason for it. They're saying, oh, we think it's easier for the quarterback to get there or whatever. But I'm always like, man, I want to let's spread these dudes out. Let's let's challenge these underneath zones. And again, that's where my background is. So that's where I want to do. But I, I think there, there can be pretty drastic. So anybody that comes in here, that's not the number system, which is what Scott is. And the number system is something that is, you know, a lot of high schools run it. It's an older kind of terminology. It it's three numbers. So it'll be like nine, eight, nine, for example, is a vertical, a post and a vertical nines are verticals, eights are posts. And then you say, okay. And that is a little bit confounding in terms of how to get to it from different personnels and different formations. And so I think that's another reason why that offense looks and feels a very specific way, because it can be challenging to call concepts. And so what you saw with Scott's offense, which I think is, again, kind of a testament to offensive evolution, is you'd see 989, you'd see 212, you'd see kind of these basic numbered concepts, and then they'd throw in a, a, a word which is traditionally west coast is how west coast call the play so they'd be like oh this is uh apache or, or whatever the word is and that means drive you know like oh, okay that's how they're getting to their drive scissors concept but it's so that it becomes kind of a bastard of both 
as opposed to when you're in like Kyle's offense, he just says, I want to run this air Coriel concept, but I'm going to call it pylon. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a word as opposed to numbers. So everything kind of falls right. under the same terminology. Sorry, that was a little bit rambly, but no, that's, but that's what I wanted to do too, is like also uh, Orlovsky did called what was like a 30 second play on NFL live the other day. Um, mm -hmm. He was a quarterback. I don't know if you got a 30 second play with multiple shifts and whatever in you, right. um, but like, how does it actually sound? Because I, I, I don't know. Like there are some people that will listen to this or watch this and they're like, yeah, I played college football or I played high school football or like right. I'm a big old nerd and I study this stuff and I know what it sounds like. But when when you get into it and actually want to like call something relatively basic from a passing concept, but maybe you add a motion or a shift right. like and then you have a can you know, that, that stuff gets real wordy real quick. And, you know, when you're a quarterback trying to learn that as a young player, if you're Sam Howell or, you know, you're, you're Terry and you're now in your third offense of your career. And, you know, it's, it's probably going to be, if it's West coast, it's going to be similar to what Jay used to call. So it's similar to what you had your rookie year, but right. do you remember that language? And, and is it, you know, I remember talking to actually Orlovsky on the radio about this uh, a couple of years ago where he was like, you know, I went from one team to another and they were similar and that actually made it harder because it's yeah. like Italian and French or Spanish and French, those, those languages that sound extremely similar. But if you're supposed to go left one time, maybe in the other offense, you go right or whatever it is. Um, and so that actually can be extremely difficult similarities because things start to get confused of which one's the current one and which one's the old one. So just from a, a basic standpoint, like if we pick like I know dragon lines really, really common. So we'll go with that. Right. So you got dragon one side line on the other. You want to do it out of a, you're in like 11 personnel. Uh, so you got here, I'll try to say this slow enough. I see you starting to write, uh, yeah. you can draw it out, right? You're at 11 personnel, you're under center. So like you're, you're in Madden language. It's like your ACE formation, right? Let's go okay. tight it, tight end to the right. Okay. Uh, and then the slot receivers to the left, obviously, then you have your two okay. wide outs on, on either side of them. Like uh -huh. just that, right? And then you want to run Dragon Lion, one of your most basic concepts yeah. that go together. What does that so, sound like in, in West Coast? Without, so usually, without motion, without shift, without nothing. Right. So usually this is like if I'm at the combine and I'm explaining someone like combine prep, which I'm going to do here in a little bit. What the, the basic thing for West Coast is its formation. If it's a pass, protection, and then concept. Okay. So... For this, it's double right. So right indicates the direction the tight end is going to go. And double is the formation saying that the F for the adjusting player will be to the left side of the formation. Okay. So tight end right, adjuster left. So you get your X, F, Y, Z, right? Good. So you say that would be quick game. So it would be three jet or yeah, three jet because it's a three-step drop and the back's going to the right in protection. The offensive line's going to go to the left. And then you say dragon. Dragon, and then you might need to tag that differently. No, you're in two by two, so you're okay. So that was it. So formation, protection. So uh, formation, double right, three jet, dragon. That's it. Easy peasy, right? But let's say I wanted to change it up. So I'd have to go double right, three jet, dragon, lion. Y gets the first tag, X gets the second tag. Let's say I wanted to go out of a three by one, it would be trips right, um, three jet, Y over dragon, 
right? Because it's a two, it's it's a two by two concept. Now it's three by one. So the Y has to go over the ball or has to know he has to go over the ball. So again, that's mm-hmm. where you get into some of your variety. And then some offensive coordinators will say, I expect the tight end to know in a three by one, he can't run a flat here. He has to run over the ball. And so we don't need to tag that. And you just have to memorize that you have to be over the ball. And that's like the, that is like the most basic route concept. Right. And then you might go can and call a completely different play. A lot of times the can can plays wind up being runs um, and the run plays are a little simpler to call. And you've already got so the you formation. Asked, you, right? you, asked, you asked about a crazy play. So this was a play that I had when, when I was in San Francisco with Kyle. So basically it was, it was, let's say it was strong, uh, bump to strong, right? So there's the formation. The fullback's got a bump 18 Zorro can 19 week alert past 19 week um x drift okay so that's all in one thing so that's three plays that are called that's one play called and three different variations you can get to two runs right and left and then the pass off of the look that you want yeah and that's kyle's probably doing that all the time yeah and that that gets a little bit dicey because there's motions associated with each play call. There was times where he'd can the run, and I would have to, as the tight end, I'd have to switch sides of the formation because the run strength was now to the left. So you'd have to memorize a motion, you'd have to memorize a shift, and you'd have to memorize your rules off of that new run that you were going to. And then if he were to check to a pass, I'd have to go back to the other side. It was it was very complicated. It, it puts you in a good spot, but you do have to be on your P's and Q's. Right. Well, and this is why teaching is so important. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. And this is something that I feel like I harped on earlier in the season quite a bit when we started to hear various players not necessarily getting certain things or we see some consistent mental mistakes. And I said, you know, maybe this isn't bad design or bad plan. Maybe this is bad teaching. Right. Yeah. And, and also, this is why you put a priority on drafting smart players and getting players who understand, mm-hmm. because just like we don't think as we're speaking to each other right now about grammar. We just, mm-hmm. we say things and we, over the course of our lives, speaking the English language, you know, over, over, you know, years and years and years, we just understand Senate structure and we understand what we're trying to say and, and accomplish. The same becomes true with the football language. You could handle that because you understood that I needed to be on this side to make this run work. Like you understood right. the concept. Right. It wasn't a memorization. It wasn't like a guessing game of, oh, I need to actually be here because on Wednesday we talked about this pop quiz, here I go. It's like, oh, it, now this is the play. Here's the vision in my head. I remember what it looked like on the whiteboard. 
I understand what we're trying to accomplish. And so this is why, you know, one of the things they need to prioritize in this time crunch that we've established that they're in because Rivera's only got one year left, likely, you know, if obviously if they're not successful, new ownership, blah, blah, blah. They need someone who's a great teacher who can come yeah. in. Uh, one, uh, part of being a great teacher is understanding what you can teach. So if you, you teach a scaled down version of your offense, but it's going to be one that your team can execute, that is better than more complicated and confusing. And two, how effectively can you teach not just the language, not just like here is the picture, but here's why we're doing this so that everybody can be on the same page, understand and have the nuance level that you need to really execute to be successful in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's that's why this is so unique. And I love how you brought that up there uh, in terms of like this memorization as opposed to like learning the the concept of the offense. When I was mentoring young guys in the NFL, one of the first things I said to them is I like, go look at their playbook and they'd have uh, the tight end route highlighted. And I was like, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I'm learning the offense. I'm like, you're actually not. You're going to make it really hard for yourself like because you're going to have to know all of these different spots because in whoever the OC is, Sark, um, you know, Frank Smith, whoever the offensive coordinator is, is going to formation this where you're going to have to be the number two guy. So what does the number two guy have on scissors? And it's like, well, I don't know. I didn't memorize that. It's like, no, you got to know conceptually what the whole play is trying to do. And that, that can be really challenging because a lot of guys don't have like that, that ability or they don't know what they don't know yet. And so it can be hard, especially with a young team. Um, and I think you're going to run into a thing here where I do believe that Ron is going to try and keep the same verbiage. I really do. I think he's going to try and keep the same verbiage, which I've done before. I've been a part of staffs where they had an offense that they liked. They had to move on from the OC. Atlanta's a perfect example of this. Kyle's offense, they brought in Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian's offense is not worded the same way as Kyle's offense. He doesn't understand like how to stack stuff and layer stuff the way Kyle does. But, <clears throat> excuse me, but he had to learn it. And so he's, you could tell there were times where he was like kind of reverting back to his old offense coming into his new offense. And a lot of people think that's easier to do is have one guy learn the whole offense. I personally would prefer it if the coordinator just installed his own offense because it's the language he's speaking and he knows that this is my answer versus this. So I think that's going to be a really interesting element to kind of keep an eye on with this offense. Is it the same offense that Scott installed? Is it Scott Turner's offense? Is it um, this Air Coriel kind of derivative, this number system? Because number system, I'm telling you, is is it can be tough to learn. Because right. do you do you have the knowledge base to recall the play that we did earlier, the simplest version of it in the number system, or is that a uh, ne never an offense that you you? Learned? I've never been in it, but I can give it a shot. So basically, what you're going to do there is you're going to say you're going to give your formation. So whatever it is, I think in in this offense, it's like twins. It's not double. It's something else. So I always think of like T is two, two to each side. So twins, whatever it is, twins, and then it would be two one two f flat so x has a two y has a one z has a two f is tagged on the flat right and so they use it, they use the tag because it's kind of that merger f, system versus like a pure version might just go f1 right so it's only three numbers the that's why it gets hard okay. to get into some of these other things right so the f I think in this offense, I don't know for sure, is always tagged. That player is always tagged. And instead of starting with the Y side, which a lot of offenses do, they start with the X and they go across that way. So X has a two, one Y, wherever he is, even if the F's the next person, 
Z2. And so even that to me is just like, what are we, you know, you really, you got to memorize that. All of a sudden, all of a sudden you're speaking Hebrew. You're going right to left. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, way different as opposed to going Y side first. And so that's even like a subtle thing. And then understanding that base, like, let's say it's, um, let's say it's like a slot. It's like a bunch. Like imagine doing that principle from a bunch. So we go, um, let's say it's, um, like, a like, so Z, Y, um, F. So it's eight, five. We got to tell, no, I'm going, I'm going the wrong way now. So it's eight, five, seven F flat, right? You're like, Oh my God, like, what are we doing? You know what I'm saying? It just, it, be, it becomes a little bit more tedious to learn that in addition to the new formations. And, um, you can see how even the number system there would really make it difficult to, motion to something with the new thing because as you're moving you change in terms of who you're counting let's say i'm the y and i motion outside of the x now all of a sudden i become the first digit he becomes the second digit we tag the you know what i'm saying like it just makes motioning and moving a little bit more cumbersome as opposed to saying hey we have scissors over here if you're the outside guy you've got a post if you're the inside guy you got a corner it, to me, that just and maybe that's because the language I grew up speaking, but it, it seems like you're adding a level of complexity and a level of focus, and that makes it a little bit less likely to run some of these motions and shifts that I think team that fans were calling for early on in the season. Yeah, I, I could also see where someone like Scott, who grew up in it, and that's the language yeah. he spoke first, would be like, I got to remember a whole bunch of words when I can just like, I got to remember nine routes. How hard could it be? Like, right. If you're the, and if I wind up being the outside guy, then my number, my number is the first one. Like, okay, right. cool. Like it actually, in some ways it is, in some ways it isn't. It depends on what you're used to. It depends on what right. you learn first. And, you know, I don't even like some, some of these college offenses that it's like, you know, Ringo. And it's like, that's the whole play. Yeah. And it's like, it's like protections oh. and protections and concepts yeah. and depths. And it's like, whoa. Yeah. So it's, it's really well, difficult. I, so I think what I want to what yeah. I want to pin down there is sometimes that kind of offense limits the level of complexity you can achieve in your offense. So if you're an offensive coordinator from the West Coast system and you're used to these motions and these shifts to certain concepts, how do you articulate that same result in the number system? I think would be a little bit tedious or it could potentially be tedious or cumbersome. And the the other way goes first because if you look at like old Air Coriel offenses, they're pretty stagnant to start to down. It's not like they're moving around a whole bunch. And I think one of the, and again, this is just a, this is totally out there. So if anybody that is listening has any familiarity with the Air Coriel offense, tell me if I'm wrong. But I think it just makes it harder to move around in the formation than it is in a West Coast system. Yeah. I mean, that would, that would make sense on some level. Um, but it also, again, depends on what you're, it depends on what you're used to. Um, yeah. I'm sure. You know, for for those, which is why I appreciate you saying like, "Hey, I'm I'm used to West Coast. This is the language I speak." Um, but there also is an element to like, if you try to say computer in Latin, the word doesn't exist because Latin's a dead language right. that when it died, computers didn't exist. <laughs> so there just aren't. Which is why, like the English language, they add words to Webster every year because right. like you have to eventually create new stuff, and you know that's why. You know, and, and like, how do you call some, you know, we see like Hunter Renfro inventing routes. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you call that in a number system? Um, yeah, you're out of numbers. Right. You call, do you call that a 23 route? Like, what do you do? Right. Um, and so you probably have to tag it. So you get in this right. weird bastard where it's like, uh, you know, it's like nine jerk eight. And you're like, okay, well now do we tag two people? Do we tag this concept? And so that's where you get into this kind of 
bastardization, <clears throat> excuse me, of offenses and, and cross schemes. And I will say, Kyle, in my experience, always did a good job of saying, we're just going to make up, this is a, this is our concept. We're going to put it in our language. And I think with these more traditional offenses, that can be a little bit more difficult. Right. And it's they, something, it's something that I know Cooley was really fond of was like when he got to invent the new word and, and yeah. where some of the stuff, you know, he had muskrat and had, yeah. this, were you the one he was doing that stuff with? He did a little bit of it when I, and I always thought he was joking and then he'd call it in the game or in practice. I was like, Oh, I guess that's the word we're using for that. <laughs> you yeah, know, it, he would, he would come up with based off of who you're playing that week or, you know, someone falls asleep in a meeting that, that becomes sleepy, you know, cause the play, <laughs> you know, you, you're trying to, that, that happened once. I don't remember which receiver, but like the, the primary on a certain route that Kyle was trying to install was asleep in the meeting. And mm. so they installed it. They, they woke him up and were like, this play is now called Sleepy. And so that's how some of that stuff happens. And it's why it can be fun. And like, it's easy to remember versus the numbers and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And now that everyone's ready to go hire an offensive coordinator, uh, <laughs> we'll have an update next week and see if they've hired an offensive coordinator. Hey, it's Craig Hoffman from Take Command. It's not just a podcast. It's the 25th hour of your debt, your weekly source for all things commanders, right on time, your time. A list of household chores. Do them without missing a beat and listen while you work. In the car, turn mundane drives into memorable moments. With podcasts, you can maximize productivity and minimize FOMO. We're on demand, so we fit perfectly into your schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right, Logan, uh, we got like 15 minutes left in the podcast. Let's go through each and every game from this weekend or preview all of the games upcoming this weekend. Uh, it starts off with Jags and Chiefs. This one's at Arrowhead, obviously the playoff opener for Kansas City. Jags coming off a really incredible win. And, you know, everyone wants to to lay blame at the Chargers. And, uh, yeah, it uh, it you should blame the Chargers for blowing a 27-0 lead. But also, you have to give so much credit to Jacksonville for sticking with it. Like, if you have five turnovers in the first half and a young quarterback and a new coach, you realize how easy it is to, to be like, yeah, all right, we're good. We'll see you all next year. They did. They fought back. <laughs> Uh, and by the way, I saw this yesterday on Instagram. Trevor Lawrence has never lost in his life on a Saturday. Really? Undefeated in college. Uh, the two losses came in championship games that were on Monday nights. Hmm. Uh, and then, or like I think one Thursday night maybe, and then he lost in a championship game on a Monday. And then uh, Sunday, Monday, Thursday in the NFL, he's lost. But on Saturday, he's never lost. This game's at 4.30 on Saturday. <laughs> eh? Eh? Uh, what do you make of this one? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I like I like the Jags a lot. I think you know in the pregame show we talked about how much I enjoyed kind of their maturation, specifically Trevor Lawrence's growth over the course of the season. You see a confidence. You see, 
like I know Lanella is always saying, oh, the prince that was promised. And it's I enjoy that. I enjoy when someone's highly touted and they come and they deliver. And it looked for a while like it wasn't going to be that. But you see the arm talent. You see the mobility. You see an offensive line that, you know, was much maligned this offseason and has grown up a lot. And they, they're one of the best pass protecting groups in the NFL. Christian Kirk, that addition, everyone was poo-pooing that. But you see an ability for him to consistently win in one-on-one situations. Etienne does an excellent job. You see a resurgence of uh, the tight end that they've got there, who's an no, outstanding Ingram, football yeah. player. Yeah, and and the way that Peterson has used him to kind of stretch the defense horizontally as opposed to vertically. Um, they're a fun team. I think their defense is going to be really, really good, but they're very young. And I just don't think they can hang with Kansas City, man. I just, I ultimately, that's what I think it comes down to. I think they're built to beat a team like Tennessee. They're built to beat a team like Washington, for example. They're kind of big up front. They're nasty. They've got good athletic linebackers, but they're more of a run centric team. They're probably not going to see a whole lot of that uh, against Kansas City. And I just think Kansas City's too good. It, it might be a close game if the offenses can go toe for toe. But uh, I think that's a big ask of Trevor Lawrence, um, you know, in his second playoff game. I agree. Kansas City is a team I picked at the beginning of the season. I haven't seen any reason to, to come off of that other than the emotional pull towards Buffalo. But Kansas City also has a maturity to them that obviously yeah. the Chargers did not. Um, whether it's on the coaching staff, whether it's the players, like so many of them have won championships or have won a championship. They've, they've been in these games nonstop. This is probably the toughest environment Trevor Lawrence will have ever played in. Um, you know, in college, he certainly had a couple of, of good ones. Like, you know, if you're if you're Clemson playing at South Carolina, like that's no treat. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the era that he was playing South Carolina, uh, let's just say the uh, the players on the field didn't quite match the atmosphere where you get both when you're going to Arrowhead for a playoff game. Like it's going to be nuts. You're coming off this emotional high. They're just sitting waiting. Um, I do think there's a chance obviously for Jacksonville, when you get to the stage, like you're talking about really good football teams, but I do think Kansas city is just better. Chris Jones has been dominant this year, maybe the best player defensively in the NFL on the season. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when you have like, when you have the potential defensive player of the year and the probable MVP, you should be favored and they are. Yeah. And I think, like you said, I think they're, it will be exciting. I want to see what Trevor Lawrence does, but I, I wouldn't, if I was putting money on it, it's Kansas city, right? It's Kansas. Like they're the team yeah. that, is the team. They're the best team in football right now. They're, they have one of the best offensive lines. Their defense is much improved from last year. Patrick Mahomes and the skill position players, they've done a really nice job replacing Ty- Tyreek Hill. If everyone's got their own unique skill set, you got Marte- Mar- Marquez Valdez Scandling, who's this deep threat. You've got uh, uh, Juju Smith Schuster underneath, kind of working the zones. You've got Travis Kelsey, who's my- who is literally one of the most dominant offensive football players in the NFL. You've got uh, Kadarius Toney, who's this kind of gadgety player. And then the two running backs are just so, such great complementary pieces to this offense. So, well, and guess who's back? Who's Edwards back? Al- Edwards Alaire oh, is back. Oh, my goodness gracious. So, yeah, I mean, it just – and not that that's going to make a huge difference for them, but they're just so deep, they're so talented, and they've got – and they have maybe the best play call in the NFL in Andy Reid. And I have a ton of respect for what he does and his vision for that offense. And so um, – I can't wait to watch it because maybe something crazy will happen. It'll be close, but I just think Kansas City, like you said, is is the team. And that crazy uh, another little anecdote. So, in a preseason game, the first preseason game of 2017 or second preseason game, we went when I was in San Francisco to Kansas City, and we had to go on the silent count because it was so dang loud in a preseason game. 
Can you imagine how absolutely turnt these these guys are going to be for this game? You won't be able to hear a gosh darn thing, and that is a huge factor for offenses. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, you know, this young offense. How much has Lawrence had to do that in his career? <laughs> Just talk about how 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 hard it is to call an offense when you're using the words. Try yeah. doing it when you can't. Uh, try <laughs> try doing it when someone might miss something, and then you're just. You know, you can't even get the snap count right. And he's done a good job for them of checking into the right stuff and checking the right plays, and that becomes really, really less effective uh, in those situations because of the noise. So a lot of things stacked against Jacksonville. I think you can never count them out because they're because Trevor Lawrence is showing that he's maybe a top 10 guy in the NFL, and when you have that guy on your roster, anything is possible. It's just going to be tough sledding for sure. Yeah, well, they, the other team's got, got – the top one um, <laughs> with all due respect to everyone else. Yeah. The, Mahomes is still that guy. Um, and he's, by the way, his playoff record is absurd. What he does <laughs> uh, giants and Eagles. So hard to beat a team three times. Uh, that said the last time these two teams played, it's funny because it was the game between the two commanders games for the giants mm-hmm. where obviously the giants have looked good and everyone's, you know, kind of starting to sing their praises a little bit. They got smashed in that game. Mm-hmm absolutely wrecked Philly's favored by seven and a half uh they're obviously a lot healthier than they were towards the end of the season when they started to fall off a little bit um Hertz uh, according to Doug Peterson or according to uh Sirianni is a lot healthier than he was two weeks ago so how do you see this one playing out uh with with Daniel Jones coming off the best game he's ever had uh regular season or or postseason uh best game he's ever had two teams that know each other well, but the Eagles were probably the best team in football all year. Yeah, so it's important to remember that Minnesota's defense is, I think, literally the worst defense in the NFL, especially over the last eight eight weeks. So they have been struggling recently. Uh, Their defensive coordinator is probably going to get fired if he hasn't been fired already. Um, A guy that I like, I played for Ed Donatel when I was in Chicago, really nice guy, but again, like this is a results-driven thing, not going that great, so... Um, you know, probably the move if you're a new offensive coordinator, offensive-minded coach, right? Um, anyway, I, I digress. I, I think that it's important to remember in that second Eagles game with the Giants that the Giants, the game flow switched pretty dramatically off of some mistakes by the Giants. It was like a big punt return. There was an interception or a fumble, right? And it allowed the Eagles to get out way ahead really early. It was 21-0 in the first quarter, and that is not the type of game flow that um, – that the Giants want to play. They want to keep it nasty. They want to keep it close. They want to keep it dirty, and they want to stress you out. And I will say the thing to me that's the X factor here is this coaching staff for the Giants. Wink uh, Wink Martindale, Mike Kafka, um, the head coach, I forget his name at the moment. Brian Dable. Brian Dable, thank you. Those dudes have been absolutely just wizards this season in terms of coming up with game plans and if you look at what they did against minnesota i would expect something similar here you're going to see their best punch now do they have the horses to execute it especially versus a healthy philadelphia eagles probably not because philadelphia is maybe the best roster in football second probably to kansas city um very very talented group they've they've upgraded all of this run stuffing personnel up front it's going to be very hard for the giants to be who they want to be um but I like the coaching staff for the Giants, and I know they're going to come up with something innovative and unique for this Philadelphia defense offensively, and Wink Martindale is going to do something crazy. You know, they were the, the highest blitzing percentage team in the NFL. They play Minnesota. They're under 25%, which is so out of the blue, and it just totally confounded what Minnesota wanted to do. So, again, that to me is the X factor. Can the Giants win? Absolutely. 
Will they win? I don't think so. I think the Eagles are a very good football team. This is another interesting one with the bye week. How do you right. handle a bye week as a, an inexperienced team? Obviously, you feel great about the Chiefs because they just get buys every time. They know exactly how to handle it. Right. What is what is this kind of relatively inexperienced Eagles team do with a bye week? Do they do they decline? Do they hold form? What is it? Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. Their their form down the the stretch was certainly less than Shaky. ideal. After that that smashing of the Giants, uh, forty eight twenty two wound up being the final, and they've been rolling the thirty five ten over the the Titans, forty to thirty three over the Packers. Uh, but they lost to the Cowboys in that shootout, uh, forty to thirty four. Only scored ten points against the Saints, and then they beat New York twenty two sixteen to round out the season, which is another like really weird thing that's happened now multiple times is you wind up with uh, teams in the playoffs that just played. I mean, last mm. week, uh, Ravens and Bengals, uh, this happened too as well. And you just wonder, um, how does that affect the game? The fact that they played each other not that long ago. Um, but the Eagles have consistently been better than New York in their head-to-head matchups this year. I don't expect that to change, but I do expect it to be tough. And I do think that Wink Martindale showing an ability, not just a willingness, but an ability to execute a different game plan is something that is really important because clearly uh, what he's done has not worked in two tries against Philadelphia. Um, it's gotten, it was better the second time around or the Hertz wasn't completely healthy. And certainly the Eagles weren't uh, putting their a game out there because they had pretty much locked everything up. But what does the defensive game plan look like? I think that's a fascinating question. I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming they'll watch some of what Washington did uh, in, in the win, but part of that was getting turnovers and things like that. So do they, do they go with a little riskier in certain situations, try to force Jalen into some throws or some situations that, that are uh, higher risk? And then can you make plays? Because that's the other thing is the Eagles – wide receivers just make plays on you like and for all there are certain positions where I think we underrate the Giants talent where I go maybe Isaiah Hodgins is just good maybe the story is great but at this point like how many games in a row does he have to be awesome before we just go hey that dude's a good football player yeah that was for some reason on a practice squad and that reason is probably because Buffalo is stacked at receiver (laughs) um and that might have more to do with it than than anything else um but corner is definitely a position where there are some real questions for New York and Philly's receivers are the type to take advantage of that. So I right. do think that's something that might be a a hurdle that that New York can't overcome if Philly chooses to really get aggressive, uh, especially if they get one on one matchups. Yeah, I agree. I think that's that's probably the biggest deficiency. And I also think it's one of the reasons Wink has been so hyper. I mean, he's hyper aggressive anyway, but even more to type this year is to kind of insulate that back end and and play into some of that variance you're wanting. Because when you blitz, you increase the pressure. Quarterbacks make bad throws. Um, receivers run bad routes. There's miscommunications. There's also the propensity to get big plays in that situation. But they seem to have that in the nice in, in their wheelhouse. And if you look Again, in the first Eagles matchup, which is really the only Eagles matchup they had, is they got away from the blitz stuff early because game plan was so crazy. So if they can keep this tight and they can keep them in the clench and, and keep it kind of messy, the Giants could win this football game, especially if Daniel Jones plays as well as he did against Minnesota. Now, those are all big ifs. Those, again, if I'm betting, it's definitely the Eagles. Um, and this doesn't feel quite as close as the Jacksonville game to me because I don't think the quarterback – is as talented for the Giants. I think he's good. I don't think he's quite as good as uh, Trevor Lawrence. 
Sunday games, 3 o'clock kick on CBS. Bengals and Bills, obviously the last time these two teams played was the Monday Nighter where DeMar Hamlin collapsed. So we uh, we see a rematch here. This game is in Buffalo. Uh, obviously, had that game happened, this could have been a different situation. There's a lot of folks that are clamoring that this game should have been neutral site. It is what it is. They canceled the game. It didn't happen. Thus, the two teams that, that played finished with different records, and uh, the Bills get to host it at home. As for how they match up on the field, Bengals Bengals are one of the hottest teams in football. Like if it wasn't for the 49ers, they would be the hottest team in football. And uh, I know I know you're a huge basketball guy, Logan. Uh, just an enormous NBA fan. But to me, the Bills have a lot of Golden State Warriors in them. Where it's like, as long mm. as they don't beat themselves, they're so spectacular. Right. They're so talented. And as long as they don't beat themselves there isn't really anybody that can play with them. The problem is they have a propensity for turning the football over and beating themselves. And that's exactly how Miami got back in the game last week. So to me, this game comes down to like, yeah, Cincinnati is one of the few teams that can hang with Buffalo, but can Buffalo play a clean game? If so, they win. If not, I think Cincinnati pulls off the upset. I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, Josh Allen has been, a little bit more Josh Allen than even normal, which means he leads the NFL in big time throws, but he's also like stacking up turnover worthy plays. So he is he does magical stuff. He also does insane stuff. If he can kind of bring in the insane stuff a little bit, lean into those big time throws in specific situations. Again, like he you said Patrick Mahomes is the best player in football, and I don't disagree with that, but in terms of the most dominant player in football, when everything is going good for him. There's nobody close to he can run the football. He can throw. He can stiff arm defensive tackles. He can touch anywhere on the field with the football. Maybe the strongest arm in the game. So very, very skilled. That roster is very deep. Obviously, they're missing some pass rushers, which would have been huge in this situation. Von Miller being hurt, big deal for games like this. But yeah, I think I think the Bills are the better roster. But I do think I do think Joe Burrow deserves to get some flowers. I think he's probably a top five quarterback at the moment. They've got no excellent skill position players, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Boyd. I mean, that's it's hard to think of a, a more dynamic three. Uh, Hurst, 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 uh, yeah. the tight end. Um, Hayden Hurst, yeah. Hayden Hurst is a fantastic kind of fourth option for them. Uh, Mixon is a very good runner. Their old line is really, really, really banged up at the moment. I think they're on their third left tackle, which is not where you want to be going into this game. So how do they manage that? And I think that might be the deciding factor just the health of the old line because the Bills, while they are banged up on the D-line, are very talented kind of across the board. So I think that's probably the difference in the game in addition to the turnover thing that you mentioned. Yeah, if Cincinnati can get a run game going and keep the Bills a little bit off balance, that would go a long way. But I do agree with you. I think Cincinnati is the only team in the league that has a legitimate uh, a legitimate hold on number one receiving trio over Washington. Right. Um, you know, if you go one through three, uh, then of course the difference is they have Joe Burrow and the Commanders do not. Um, but one through three, they they are the only team that can really compete talent wise with uh, McLaren. Samuel Dotson uh, and their three guys might actually be better. Um, but the funny thing is Buffalo might be right there. Like they're, yeah. they're top two of Diggs and Davis are incredible. Um, and Knox then when you add in, good. yeah, you add in the full complement of weapons because they really do go, it feels like one through infinity at receiver. Yeah. It's just every dude they put out there. You're like, 
Who's that guy? Oh, he's awesome. Who's that? Yeah. Oh, Cole Beasley's back for the seventh time. He's still catching <laughs> balls. Um, so, and, and part of that, obviously, is Josh Allen uh, is, as you said, as good as it gets Dealing. in the NFL, especially when he gets going. And then finally, Cowboys and Niners, San Francisco, just four-point favorites. I say just because they've been favored by double digits, it feels like, for two months straight in every game they play. Um, they they put up a monster number against Seattle. And I think the heart... I, I love what Debo Samuel said after this game uh, to Pam Oliver on Fox. And, he's, and she asked him, you know, hey, they were keeping it close in the first half. Did you, you know, did you? were you nervous? And he's like, not really, because we are so physical that we know we wear teams down. And that, to me, is the question in this game is... Like Michael Parsons is great. Can he withhold the beating that it takes when you're matching up with that San Francisco O-line? Can the Cowboys O-line, which is also banged up and had to make some changes during the game uh, the other day when Jason uh, Peters went down, like can they stand up to that, that 49ers defensive line and the sheer physicality that they play with? Obviously, there's a lot of X's and O's and schematics and, you know, guys running all over the place, uh, all of the different personnel formations and all the different ways they they use the same personnel that make it incredibly difficult. This is the, the hardest offense to play in the league, but it's also because they beat the living hell out of you, snap mm -hmm. in, snap out. And that's the thing where I don't know if Dallas quite has the depth to withstand that and, and are they ready for that kind of physical game. Uh, when they're a team that has a ton of speed, like can that speed hold up over four quarters? Yeah, I agree. And I think to me, the defense for the 49ers is the story because I, I don't know. And it might've just been because I saw Dak Prescott look terrible against the commanders in, you know, week 18, but uh, you know, can Dak put up, put up a good sheet against this defense? And I don't know because like, much like the commanders, as much as Dak and CD lamb and these players get the headlines, they want to run the football. And the 49ers have been excellent this year about basically saying, no, you will not do that. So how do you get to the passing game? How do you um, how do you play in those situations? So to me, that is that that's the storyline is the 49ers defense versus Dak Prescott. Because I don't know if Dak can hang. And if Dak can't hang, then Scott's then Kyle's gonna scheme up this Dan Quinn defense. And this is this is a kind of a sneaky storyline. Dan Quinn and him work together in Atlanta. And so Dan knows Kyle very very well and has historically put out good performances against him because of that familiarity it's been a couple of years does that familiarity hold up dallas does a good job of disguising stuff they bring a ton of pressure they're going to put a lot of they're going to turn the screws to brock purdy kyle because of the defense can be really patient they can punt they can trust the defense to put them in good spots so i think that i think that's the biggest variable because it dictates game flow in a way that really favors san francisco um, if the defense comes out and plays well. And it doesn't even matter if Dan comes out and calls a perfect game, Dan Quinn I'm talking about now, uh, because Kyle knows he can just be as patient as can be if Dallas can't do anything offensively. The other thing that I think is interesting matchup-wise is San Francisco is one of the few teams that doesn't have the fear of God put in them by Michael Parsons if he's matched up one-on-one -on -one yeah. with their tackles. like if It's like Parsons on Trent Williams. Okay, if we yeah. got to. Like yeah. uh, McGlinchey on the other side, one of the best right tackles in the league. Like it's not ideal. Michael Parsons versus anyone is an advantage to Michael Parsons, right. maybe except for Trent Williams. Yeah, uh, I think and, Trent's probably the, yep. Yeah. And so McGlinchey on the other side too, like, okay, yeah, we'll chip there. Not a big deal. Or we'll, we'll get a little guard help, but we know that we have someone on the other side who can handle it. 
Um, we don't need to, you know, help Trent out against anyone. And the rest of their offensive line is very good as well. Obviously, they can when Parsons is off the ball uh, or anybody, you know, Vander Esch, all those guys, they get put into conflict all the time because Yuschek is here and Kittle's there, then McCaffrey's here and Debo's there. Like it's wild how how much they use those guys. And a guy like Parsons is a great weapon to have against that because he has so much speed. But if Dallas decides to use him in coverage a ton. That means he's not pressuring. So it is a it is a real challenge to, for Quinn, and he knows his personnel. That's why he's paid a bunch of money, and he's one of the best at it, to figure out how he wants to deploy what he's got defensively. Um, again, and maybe they're better suited to do it than, than a lot of other teams because they have so much speed. But that's why I go back to the, the physicality. Like, if you can keep up, can you keep up not just for a half, not even for three quarters, can you keep up for 60 minutes or eventually are they going to hit some of those big plays on you? Is McCaffrey going to spring one? Is Debo going to spring one? Is Ayuk going to all of a sudden be wide open 40 yards down the field? Because that seemingly happens every game. And then obviously, as you said, is Dak keeping up on the other side? When he's been at quarterback, this stat flashed in week 18, I think, uh, on the telecast that was incredible. Since 2020, when Dak is at quarterback for the Cowboys, they have the highest scoring offense in the league. 32, 32 points a game, higher than Mahomes, higher than Allen with like a, a minimum number of attempts or what it is. Cause I'm pr- actually pretty sure Brock Purdy would probably beat that number uh, with the eight week stretch that he's had. But for guys that have been long-term starters, he can operate a really effective offense. Question is Willie, because we all also know he's had some real stinkers in there as well. Yeah, I agree. And that's, that's a really interesting statistic. I had no idea that was the case because you're right. It kind of goes against your, you know, observations of the, of them and how, well, especially how if you saw them play the commanders. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that, I, I think this is a very compelling game, especially given the, was that last year that they, uh, they almost had interception. They lost, right. Was that this game? Uh, I can't remember. Tarkovsky Tart dropped the interception that would have taken them to the Super Bowl or whatever to the to the divisional round. Mm. Um, but yeah, um, big deal. And obviously, yeah, I don't know. I just don't think Dak's going to show out in in a way that is is viable against this defense. As much as I think he's got the ability, he's very talented, and and Kellen Moore is an excellent offensive coordinator. I just think they're going to get hit in the teeth, and it's going to be a long day for them. All right, that's our playoff preview and our big old nerd session on offense. Uh, We will have more coming in the next couple of weeks. We'll start to get into some of the prospects that the commanders can be looking at in the draft at some of the the big positions of need. Uh, Sam Fortier is going to come on the pod from the Washington Post. Looking forward to that. Um, Eric Edholm from NFL Media, who's their draft guru, is going to come on in the next couple of weeks as well. So we got a bunch of good stuff planned here on the podcast. Probably do for a mailbag episode. Yeah. Uh, and then obviously when uh, the commanders hire a new offensive coordinator, we'll do a deeper dive on that person's tape as well. So that's all still to come, which means you should probably subscribe, whether you're watching us on 106.7 The Fans YouTube page, you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, or wherever else you may be listening. I know Ben Standig listens on uh, on Google Play because he's he's a Google phone person. He told me that the other day. Uh, so if you're, if you're like Ben and you want to listen on Google Play, we won't hold it against you. Uh, for Logan, you can follow on Instagram at Logan underscore Paulson82. I am Craig Hoffman, and we'll see you next Tuesday on Take Command.